Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon here with some brand new Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. I am beside myself with excitement today because never in a million years did I think I would one day have the opportunity to have a full blown conversation with Deborah Wilson. Yet that is what I'm doing here today. We're going to talk all about her time on Mad TV, her experience acting for video games, and she's just going to give you a bunch of really amazing life advice like the goddess she is. So hunker down and sink your teeth into some brand new hijinks. Forever. everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by a living legend, comic genius, video game voice actor, personal nerd favorite for me, and of course, star of Bad TV, Deborah Wilson. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Jinx. Thank you. After I gave you the rundown, I almost said hello, Deborah, which I've never screwed up my own <laughs> intro like that before. And I still would have said, Hi, Jinx. All <laughs> the hijinks and soons. Deborah, this is so exciting for me. Um, I grew up watching you. I started drag at 15 and was watching Mad TV from like 10 years old on. And I don't know, I have to assume you know, but you, you and all the women of the golden days of Mad TV are drag icons. Like <laughs> I learned I learned about drag and what kind of characters I wanted to play by watching all of you fantastically talented women on Mad TV in my youth. And, you know, you have to know that your Whitney Houston is just constantly quoted amongst every drag queen in every dressing room. So. Wow. What a blessing. What a blessing. Thank you. Um, and, and a humble blessing at that. So thank you for that. And as Did Joan you... Rivers might say, oh, you old drag bitch. Oh, oh you old drag bitch. Oh. Did you know that you um, were legendary amongst drag queens? Have drag queens stopped you on the street and kissed your feet and thanked you for your contribution? <laughs> no, but I, I went to a drag show, which was a lip sync drag show, and it was mm -hmm. absolutely amazing and fantastically, brilliantly credible. I don't use incredible. Um, <laughs> incredible when people do what they do and they love what they do and they work towards it and they work for it and they evolve themselves and they evolve you know, what they do and, and, and have that determination. So to me, it's never incredible. It's always extremely and fantastically and amazingly, realistically credible. So when I went to see the show, there was someone who was doing lip syncing to my Whitney Houston stuff mm -hmm. from Whitney screws up the classics. Yes. <laughs> um, and, but, but that was, she took a snippet of that, but she was doing some other things. And at mm -hmm. one point I came up to just throw money at her <laughs> and she had on Stevie Nicks, um, uh, I can't think of the name of the song, but she had on a Stevie Nicks song. And then we started doing that together. And then at one point I just turned and walked away off the stage. Because <laughs> there was a part of the song, and I can't think of the name of it, but, but there was a part of the song that was pick up the pieces and go home. <laughs> so I dropped the money and I turned and I went home back into the audience. And it was just an amazing, uh, amazing moment to have that experience and watch her, just watch her marvel at, at lip syncing Whitney Screws Up the Classics <laughs> at that moment. Did she, did you notice if her, like the inside of her brain exploded? Did you know, did she have an aneurysm when that moment happened? No, and I'll tell you why, because <laughs> she was the consummate professional <laughs> and she just allowed the moment. And when she, I came up to do that moment with her, we were just having this moment, this experience, and nothing mattered 
but the experience itself. Mm -hmm. So she never took herself out of context, which is the consummate professional. Oh, she was not (laughs) playing. She was not playing. And that, I think, was what drove the audience crazy because they couldn't tell if it was planned or if it just happened. And um, it, it was one of those experiences that just happened. So as you recall the story, I think the emotion can come back to you because now mm-hmm. you're outside of the, the experience. But yeah. during that experience, this bitch was just in it to win it. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, bitch, let's do this. <laughs> and then I, I turned so away much. on pick up the pieces and go home and I walked off. <laughs> and it was just brilliant. And afterwards, we hugged, I praised, and then I did go home. <laughs> Literally, I went home at that one. Well, I... I just absolutely love that. I mean, those are the moments that the audience couldn't have guessed that day that they were going to to witness one of those sheerly brilliant and serendipitous moments of live entertainment. Um, What was Mad TV like for you? It was everything. I mean, it was everything (laughs) you've ever felt in your life. Um, It was a huge experience for me. It was eight seasons. So it was every experience you could ever experience um, and every feeling you could ever think and have and, 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 and be a part of. There was nothing, there was no stone left and turned when it came to, when it came to uh, the emotion of it and the drama of it and the pathos of it and the beauty of it and the joy of it and the fun of it and the hilariousness of it and the sorrow of it and the sadness of it. Um, it, it was every experience and every emotional range from A to Z. I think one of the reasons why it resonates so much with drag performers in particular is because it really went there with its humor in a way that other sketch comedy shows weren't going and in a way that like pushed the envelope and tested the limits so much more than almost every, anything else that was on TV. And it's just continuously quoted today. And then I see young queer people quoting it. And I'm like, oh, you watch Mad TV? And they're like, oh, I don't know what Mad TV is. I learned this from some other queen or some other <laughs> queer person out in the world. And that's it's it's funny that the show resonated so specifically with the queer community, I think. Because, I don't know, it felt like, it felt like the naughty you know, the naughty secret sketch show. <laughs> like... Yeah. Because you know why? It, 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 it's, it's for everything. It, Jinx, it's everything that you just said. It is the epitome of pushing the envelope mm-hmm. uh, on that social scale and that political scale and, um, and being able to be as broad as possible. So when you think that and then you kind of equate that to the LGBTQ community, it is mm-hmm. an envelope pushing. It is testing the limits and it is in the face of politics and in the safe space of what's going on socially and in pop culture and in the world of celebrity, it is pushing all of those things. And mm-hmm. I think with the, uh, with audiences that out that are not in the LGBT com- community, like directly immersed in as um, the LGBTQ community, it's a matter of, wow, they can say it, but I won't, I won't say it in, in certain yeah. companies. Where the LGBT community is like, nope, I've been through enough. I don't hide my shit. I don't hide myself. <laughs> and if they say it, then they're giving us permission to say it too. As opposed mm-hmm. to regular audiences that are the quote unquote regular audiences <laughs> that um, that are like, well, I'll let them say it. Because, you know, I, I can talk about what they did and feel comfortable in all circles because mm-hmm. I didn't say it. I may be thinking it and I may laugh at it because I resonate with it, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. say this out loud in certain circles. So it's really, um, I, I, I overstand why the LGBT community uh, is so close to that experience and yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have uh, a favorite character or a favorite sketch or a favorite impersonation that you did on your eight seasons of Mad TV. <laughs> you know what? There are things that I absolutely love. I, I don't know if I'd call them my favorite because as soon as I say that, someone else will bring up something and I'll be like, oh my God, you remember <laughs> yeah. that? And, and then I'll wax nostalgic about that. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to call anything my favorite, but there are mm-hmm. memories that I have that are overwhelming and stuff that I bring up still to this day um, that I, I absolutely love the experience of and why. I was the kind of person on this show, I was the one on the show 
that do the tongue twisters and the fast speaking. Yes, yes. And so there was a sketch with Will Sasso that was a parody commercial, um, like a local regional commercial of a guy named Big John. And he had a, a shirt barn. And then the, the sketch did so well, it was called Big John Shirt Barn, Big John Shirt and Tie Barn. And he was like, you know, um, these commercials are costing me money, Thelma. And, you know, pick it up, pick up the pace. Because I was telling people how to get to Big John's shirt barn. And so the music kept going faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. Um, and I would do the track faster. Um, yeah. And that was fun. And it was also, I played a white woman and no one said a word. I played a white woman and no one said a word. I played a white woman and no one said a word. I played a white woman and no one said a word. I do think, I mean, I think about Mad TV a lot because like we've been talking about pushing the envelope and um, testing the limits. And I know how a lot of things are in a state of flux right now. And it's, it's funny because I still find everything that I found as a, as a teenager funny. I still find it all funny today. And I think that there are certain things like Mad TV that get kind of grandfathered in, even in this time of consciousness and, you know, mindfulness. And there's just certain things that it's kind of like, well, we're going to, we're going to let that come with us because of the impact it had, even if it's not maybe the way we do things today. But for me, Mad TV, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what I would have done as an early drag queen if I hadn't been so inspired by y'all's performances like so early on. And I'm I'm not kidding. Like just everything was quoted in the dressing rooms and so many of your characters. I remember just being was there an inspiration, like a real life inspiration from for um, Bunifa, Latifa, Sharifa, Halifa Jackson? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> let me tell you something. Bunifa happened. Bunifa happened at least seven seven to ten years before mad tv and it was an improv in a sketch in new york city i was working with a sketch and improv all female um group comedy group called significant others and at one point we had uh an improv sketch where we did interviews we did in-depth interviews with people in a particular situation. And we asked the audience what situation, you know, who's the celebrity this had situation happened with. And there was one and it was like Marlon Brando. And this was the situation. And so we each had to come up with what is our relationship with Brando? What do we do? Did we work with him? Did we work for him? Are we an eyewitness to something? Do we work on a set? And so for me, it was just a matter of, oh, I was his housekeeper. And, um, and here's my relationship with him because I traveled with him and we were in Tahiti and, you know, for, uh, you know, for this and that and this and that. And we traveled the world and I was his housekeeper. I was his friend and confidant and I was his housekeeper and he liked me because I was so bold and brash and I would tell him the truth. And so as this as this housekeeper, I was like, yeah, I mean, because it was like it, it felt I wanted to make it seem different. Like, why would this person be a housekeeper beyond being black, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, to do the cooking, the cleaning. And I didn't want to take that that uh, stereotypical route that I'm black. So it's naturally for me to be a housekeeper. It was like, no, 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 no. We were friends. And he liked how sassy I was because I was so honest. And he wanted that honesty around him. And at one point during that improv, someone asked what my name was. And <laughs> I literally blurted out just like this. Bonifa Latifa Halifa Sharifa Jackson. <laughs> the whole name. The whole name, just like that. Tip of my tongue, boom. And that's how she came to be. So Mad TV was a culmination of the writers, the hair department, wardrobe, to be able to go, let's continue to develop her. Because Mm -hmm. each one of them had an idea, and all of those ideas were so solid on their own that when they came together, it was fucking comedy gold. Yeah. I I want our listeners to know that before there was oh there was what did I do? That's one of my favorite. Yes. <laughs> before I'm there was oh right. there was what did I do? What did and I do? I, right? What did I do? <laughs> what did I do? Wait, James, James, why are you laughing? Wait, what? What? what okay, just tell me. Just what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Okay, what? Okay, what? What? What did I do? Okay, what? What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Okay, 
Why are you talking to me? My mind is being blown. I just don't. I don't know how to describe. Like if if you know young gay ass drag queen teenage me could know that one day I'd be sitting on sitting in my office closet on a Zoom call with you, getting to hear you um, say these quotes directly to me. It's just blowing my mind. So I just, I can't um, reiterate enough, just like the impact you've had on my life, on drag queens' lives, on other queer people's lives. I'm a complete video game nerd. And I bought a new game just at the recommendation of someone. I hadn't played the first one, but it was Castle, Castle Wolfenstein 2. Oh, uh, I... Wolf, uh, Wolfenstein, <laughs> the new Colossus. The new one. Yeah, and I'm playing the game, and I get to a certain point in the game, and a character walks in. She is a badass uh, liberation fighter, and it's you. And it wasn't just your voice. It was you. You did yeah. the animatronic acting as well. Yes, or, it's called it's performance anim- capture. Okay, yeah. I, it blew. It blew my mind once again. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting here on an airplane, probably stoned on some edibles, playing on my Nintendo Switch, and the next thing I know, CGI Deborah Wilson is coming in, telling me about the fight we're in the middle of. <laughs> What was yeah, that experience my big, like? Big Afro. Yeah, <laughs> that, that character's name for Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, is Grace mm-hmm. Walker. And on YouTube, somebody put together all the clips of Grace Walker, all the curse and swear scenes. I'm like, well, that's a lot because I swear in every fucking scene. Um, it's an amazing, it was an amazing experience. Uh, it wasn't my, obviously, it wasn't my, my first venture into performance capture. But it was a really, really powerful one with an amazing, an amazing director who is my guru on every level when it comes to acting, when it comes to directing, when it comes to video games. And I work with him on a number of games and I trust him and I'm vulnerable with him and I'm open and um, I bleed out and he, he is my transfusion every single time. His name is, I have to give a big shout out to Tom Keegan. Uh, just brilliant. And he has just guided me and loved me and helped me shape what I want to bring to the table and make it work for myself, him and the game developers and the storyline and everything else. So that Grace Walker is definitely dedicated to a lot of the guidance and love of director Tom Keegan. Uh, But yeah, it was an amazing experience and and he'll keep you honest and he'll keep it real. So whatever you bring to the table, he will carve it and serve it and say, oh, but I'm going to put this on this plate with this cup and spoon and knife and fork. So yes, you bring that, but here's how I'm going to prepare that meal so that when everybody tastes it, they're all getting the same thing as opposed to saying, hey, mine doesn't taste the same as hers. And and yeah. everyone is happy. Everyone is satisfied and everyone feels like they truly had a meal together. And he does that with each character. And Grace Walker was one of those characters that in the audition process, he guided me and nurtured me uh, so that the game developers and the gaming company could go, yeah, she's the one. Yeah. That's that's so awesome because you know, um I've I don't even know what the uh process of the um motion capture is like. It is a huge process. It's a phenomenal <laughs> huge process technically and physically. I I mean, I saw some pictures of you in the motion capture gear for my for my research for today's episode and I mean, first of all, you're strapped in in like, you know, um, Star Wars Death Trooper outfits. <laughs> um, but w- the effect is amazing because in the video game, I had to like keep pausing and being like, is- was this filmed? I couldn't like I couldn't. My brain was it was one of my first experiences, you know, playing a game where they had the actors actually act out the characters and do the motion capture, which is like it brings so much more to it than um, just voiceover. And it was yeah. amazing how much of your like acting work I saw by way of this video game. <laughs> yeah. It's theater work, darling. It's theater. Yeah. 
<laughs> I remember in 1929. <laughs> you know, but it's theater work, darling. It is, and it keeps and it keeps you honest because you're wearing HMC. HMC stands for head camera mount, mm-hmm. or HMC head mount camera. So, and and that camera has two extension bars uh, that hold the cameras directly in front of your face with lights, with your own personal ring lights, um, and so it captures your facial movements and your body doesn't lie. Your emotions don't lie. The truth is there. And so it really, like live theater, keeps you honest and open and on your toes. So I'm very proud of that uh, video game. And I'm very proud of the work. And I'm very proud of of how Grace Walker turned out. Yeah, she's an amazing character. So this is me telling everyone to go out and get Wolfenstein. Um... (laughs) The new Colossus. The new Colossus. (laughs) It was the first Wolfenstein game I had ever played. And I so I did I was going into it complete like tabula rasa, but I ha- I did like stop the game and I think I pulled up my phone to like do all this research. I was like, that has to be Deborah Wilson. There's no mistake. It's Deborah <laughs> and it blew my mind yet again. Yeah. Um <laughs> Um do you have other favorite uh voiceover experience specifically? You've oh. done so much voiceover work. Oh my God, are you kidding? I'm working on some projects now, one of which won a Peabody Award. Uh, I'm uh, the Baby Shark song, Baby Shark. <laughs> well, Nickelodeon turned it into an animated series and we're already on our second season. Um, it is getting rave reviews and I play Grandma Shark. So it's called <laughs> Baby Shark's Big Show. And what I love about it is all the themes are about inclusion and love and validation mm. And when we lose ourselves, how to get ourselves back. It's all about self-love and joy and fun and a ton of music that we do. Um, And I'm extremely proud of that. I hope that show goes on forever. I want to have an IV drip in my arm in a fucking hospital bed, (laughs) still recording that if I could. Um, And the other one, which was very inclusive with um, non-binary characters, is a Disney series called Owl House. And I'm extre- mm-hmm. that's the one that won a Peabody Award. And um, the main, a the couple of the main characters are non-binary. It's just beautiful to have an inclusive experience uh, that tells fun stories and loving stories and, and uh, magical stories. And, and every story that a Disney story can tell, that includes everybody to be able to tell it. Yeah. And I'm very proud of that show as well. And I'm very proud that they've won a Peabody Award. I'm very... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much uh, grateful to be a part of a show like that as well. Those two yeah. particularly stand out. There are a number of them that, that are amazing and I love. I love them all, but those two for those particular reasons, you know, because of, because of the fun, but also the theme and including all tor- types of, of beings. Mm-hmm. Is, as long as I'm not mistaken, Owl House is um, about a witch, right? Yes. Magic Land? Yes. Okay, so I've watched a handful of those episodes. Is that experience one where you um, go in and record your parts um, separately, solo, or do you work with the cast uh, as like an ensemble? I've only done a handful of voiceover work, and there was one experience where the whole cast was there, and we read the script together like it was a, like a radio play. And then most of my experiences were, um, you know, going in solo and just recording my track separately. But when you've got a cast like you and Wendy Malik <laughs> on one show, of course, my fantasy is that it's just you and Wendy Malik hanging out backstage <laughs> in the <laughs> recording booth doing that characters would be lovely, for each other. I love Wendy Malik. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've met her a couple of times and I love her. But for the most part, in general, the blanket. Uh, generality of recording is that everyone records separately for the most Mm -hmm. part and there are those rare times when it becomes a very very special experience when you record as a group and that has happened too in a couple of the shows that I've done Uh, but for the most part everyone records separately and now with COVID it's um, it's kind of all over the place you can record from home if your equipment um, really works with Source Connect and with the studio and what mm-hmm. they want and the sound that they're looking for. And if it doesn't and they want the equal sound of everybody, regardless of how wonderful your equipment is, they want everybody to come into the studio. They'll do that individually these days. Or like I said, or you. Yeah, it's either home or studio. It's either home or yeah. studio. But usually it uh, even when before the covid virus, before the pandemic, most people, uh, most shows would record everybody individually. Okay. 
you talked a little bit uh, about music and uh, some of the work that you've done. And something I forgot to mention is part of why your Whitney is so legendary is because you can also sing like Whitney. You wouldn't be able to do Whitney oh, if you didn't like have Whitney. the vocal get. No. Well, I, you, you, know you sing I at Whitney. Yes. yes, I do. I sing at Whitney. Yes, thank <laughs> yeah. God for the correction. I sing at Whitney. <laughs> Um, did you, it, it was music something you trained in or is it something that came naturally? Was I it kind grew of up like... in a musical household. I grew up in a creative mm-hmm. household. So I was, I was singing all the time because of church and choirs. And I, by the time I was 11, I had learned, I was ear trained through a three part harmony. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing, my sisters would train me in classical music with three part harmony. And we would sing in Bach in church. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of, of course, gospel music that my sister would arrange, one of my sisters would arrange. So and the three of us were always singing together and my parents sang in the church choir. And so they, uh, uh, harmony wise, knew how to do harmony, two and three part harmony. And so uh, it was just par for the course of the Wilson household to mm-hmm. be able to sing. You know, so did that become kind of like a, just another tool in your tool belt as a comedian that you could also deliver when when it came to um uh doing musical aspects of your characters is it something you use oh yeah that, beyond that Whitney? Was way beyond that was way before mad tv i i was mm-hmm. in sketching improv groups groups in new york city starting with a group called new york talk and there was a musical aspect of the show that was the end of the show in which we got a suggestion for a title of a song and then we asked the audience what style of song and we would do that title in that style and so mm-hmm. uh it was required that you get up there and do your thing so yeah yeah, that started. Yeah. So the so music was always in my blood and in my family. And then when it came to doing that in improv groups, or at mm-hmm. least with New York Talk, it was a no brainer. So with yeah. Mad TV, uh, when the idea of, of, of spoofing Whitney Houston came up or anybody else, you know, they always came to me because I was I was I was the black chick on the show. And yeah. so for, for eight seasons. And so it was easy to come to me and go, let's let's kind of hit that style. Let's kind of yeah. hit that style and I would um, be able to to at least get close to that and sing at that, you know, and yeah. I've done everybody from uh, Eve and Alicia Keys to mm-hmm. Beyonce and uh, Mariah and, of course, Whitney. And it's interesting because I've also doubled them. So whenever you hear Mariah hit that high note, that really is me. That high, high, high pitch, like sweet noise. That is yeah. me singing that full note. Um, and so there were sketches, musical parodies where it was Whitney and Mariah in the same video, which was always fun. Or Mariah mm-hmm. and Mariah's alter ego in the same video, which was fun. And then there was one with Alicia Keys and Eve because they did a song together. And that was me. So I'm, it's really yeah. fun. And, and 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 I get a chance to kiki when I see some of those and see me with me um, yeah. doing that. Especially my favorite, I have to admit, I shouldn't say favorite, but this one is <laughs> not insane. It was a it was a Mariah Carey music video that mm-hmm. Whitney Houston joins her in the end. Yeah. Um, I think I know I remember that one. I know I remember one you did as Mariah Carey with um with Missy Elliott. Love her muffin. Um, Yes, Lover Muffin. <laughs> and I think, oh, I quoted that one all the time because my favorite moment was you saying, I'm Mariah Carey and I'm from Mars. <laughs> was yeah. that- <laughs> um, Whitney, Whitney screws up the classics. And I actually was just watching um, my my partner is obsessed. Well, I shouldn't say obsessed. He likes Randy Newman. To me, that's as crazy as being obsessed yeah. with Randy <laughs> Newman. Um, and I was like, okay, before I can continue indulging you, like as you play Randy Newman for me on our vacation. <laughs> yeah, Will I need Sasso. you to see Will Sasso do Randy Newman. Genius. And so I was just watching you as um, Beyonce recently in one of the the Randy Newman sketches. Yeah, and brilliant, <laughs> and and it's like he, he pop out. Whoop, there comes another one. <laughs> And he would just pop out these songs. (laughs) That's my favorite is everyone ends with Hannibal. Please don't eat any more people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, do you are, do you keep up your friendships with people from the Mad TV cast? You know what? It's it's it a large range of dynamic personalities, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so everybody went off and did their own thing and lived their own lives, and so that friendship was a core friendship based on Mad TV, the proximity mm-hmm. and the joy of working together, the collaboration, and the things we were meant to learn from each other as human beings and to be to be amazed and be fans of the work when we're watching other people's stuff. And that happened uh, a lot on Mad TV. But like I said, all things must change. And there is a transmutation yeah. in each and every one of us uh, 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 creatively and dynamically and personally and spiritually and life-wise. You know, uh, Mary Shear got married and had children and 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 Nicole Sullivan got married and had children. And so Alex Borstein got married and had children. And so everybody's <laughs> life evolved differently. Mm-hmm. And so keeping up with each other was not one of those things that came into play unless we would have a group text because yeah. we were asked to come back for a reunion and we would. And that shit would start all fucking over again. <laughs> yeah. The silliness would start all over again. And Michael McDonald would always <laughs> pick it off because he has a love-hate relationship with me uh-huh. and it's a spoof love-hate relationship. Uh-huh. So it's not a real, as in, I can't stand Deborah Wilson. It really is, oh God, you know, that kind of a fun <laughs> thing. Like the little brother who hates the big sisters, like, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm so done with you. Yeah, yeah, oh God, I get you. <laughs> that kind of a thing. And it's always lovely and wonderful. And so- we haven't group texted in a while because, again, it's got to be based on a circumstance. So our yeah. relationships, as beautiful as they were and as powerful and as fun and as loving and an emotional roller coaster as they were, were also. Um, and that was that, that reality. And it was palpable and it was real. But we also knew that that was circumstantial because as we continue to have different circumstances, those things uh, didn't weren't the same. They just weren't the yeah. same. Um, but uh, uh, I have I still have a, a very love, lovely relationship with Alex Borstein between Mm -hmm. here and um, Spain because she moved to Spain. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's back and forth because of her amazing two-time Emmy-winning performance in the the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I'm going to her son Barnaby's bar mitzvah in, in uh, oh, awesome. next weekend so yeah and so we text a lot um yeah when she won her first emmy for the marvelous mrs Maisel, i just texted to congratulate her uh-huh. and i never expected anything back but she texted <laughs> from the emmys and she had taken will sasso as her date and she <laughs> texted me while she was in her seat it was lovely it was lovely and i look forward so it's been years since i've actually seen her and i'm looking forward yeah. to that well um it's you know, all of that makes. First of all, be sure to um, uh, give her kid a mazel from me. I will. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it sounds very similar to the drag race sisterhood because you know we become so close. The the queens I was on my season with, we became so close because we were isolated. You know, in filming a reality TV show, so we were each other's entire world for like. Uh, five weeks. Wow. And then we go back out and do our own lives. And then even the queens who are from different seasons, we do have this like shared experience of having done this reality TV show and competed in this way. And so there was tons of people in my life now that I might not see them for years and we might not text a lot, but then you get us in a dressing room together and it's like no time has passed. And it's yes. like pick up exactly from the last conversation we had. And we can very quickly catch up and then just get back to like as if we spend every day together. Yes, that I, <laughs> I, I, I definitely concur in the relationships that I have with people at Mad TV because at one point we were asked to be a part of a convention and, mm-hmm. um, and reunite cast members from various seasons together. And it was like no time had passed. Yeah. I have, this is unrelated to your body of work, um, more related to just your physical body. You mm-hmm. are covered in tattoos. They yes. are gorgeous. Thank Starting you. from like um, uh, the chin down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when did you start this journey on covering your, your entire body in tattoos? Because I definitely remember the sleeves 
back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And they weren't really sleeves, but it was just a few. Mm-hmm. It was just a mm-hmm. few because, because with Lita and Melina, most of my yeah. skin was clean except for a few things and, and, and two on my back, on the shoulder blades of my back. Um, uh, so I started that at an early age. I started that. Well, it's early for some. <laughs> and, and, and seemingly late in the world of tattoo for others. But I started getting tattooed when I was about 25 and um, mm-hmm. it was still illegal in New York City. And uh, I went to a place in Mount Vernon, New York, home of Denzel Washington. And <laughs> it was legal there. And I got, I, I walked in and I could not stop drinking in all the flash that was on the wall. And this tattoo artist who was very well known, he's, he's passed since then, but Big Joe Kaplan and anybody who's hardcore into the tattoo world will know of uh, Big Joe Kaplan. And he said, you'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> and uh, I was. And I said, how did you know? He goes, I saw how you looked at everything. You were drinking it in like, like you were an <laughs> addict, number one. And number two, that little rose that I gave you was so simple it's not enough for you. You're not as simple as that. And that's going to take two weeks to heal. So once it heals, mm-hmm. you're going to want uh, something around it. You're going to want more. That's not going to be enough for you. That, and that tiny little rose is not enough for you. You played it uh, uh, safe for the first time. <laughs> but that's why yeah. I knew it was the first time because you played it safe. And <laughs> you've gone like, I want this big one. And now I'm done. I got exactly what I've been thinking about for years. But you played it safe. You went conservative in order to test the water to go big. And yeah. so each time I started getting more and more pieces, uh, they were for spiritual reasons. They were lessons learned. They were things that said stuff about society and culture and inclusion and a culmination of ideas and belief systems in the, in the world. And it just kept happening more and more and more and more. And uh, uh, at one point, as I was continuing to add pieces to my arm, one of my tattoo artists of the many said, you're getting sleeved. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm just getting these individual pieces. And he's like, that's sleeving. No, 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 no. Sleeving is because in my mind, I was like, no, how do I logic not not being there? You know, mm-hmm. I don't that's not my destination because I really hadn't accepted that was a destination yet. I was still in my yeah. own process. But tattoo artists see people come and go all the time. They know, you know, they don't just sit there and do ink on you and collect money. They're 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 collecting stories and having an experience mm-hmm. with you and you're allowed and trusting and they're allowing and trusting um, and also disciplining you in terms of that's not going to work for you at this color and that skin tone and this and this. Yeah. Are you sure you want that to say that doesn't mean what you think it does? You want to do some more research on that? Hey, you're coming in an emotional state. You might want to think about that. Hey, you've been drinking. It's going to thin your blood. You're going to bleed a lot and it's going to hurt even more and it won't heal properly. Oh, I mean, whatever they had to bring to the table, you know, the, the honest ones the kind mm-hmm. ones, the ones that wanted to develop a rapport with you, not because they wanted you to come back and get inked, but because they cared about the ink that they were doing on you in that moment. Um, those are the people that I kept as, as friends and who kept me as friends. And, some, and, us, and, and many of us are still very close, um, even though we're spread out now. Yeah. And so getting these stories from people and their lives and then having them put their ink in me in what I wanted was just a combination. It was more of a social experience as well as a mm-hmm. tattoo experience. And I went back for the social experience and the tattoo experience at the same time. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then finally, when I got to the place, I said, you know what? I'm ready to just accept and receive that I am, I'm getting a bodysuit. And, and yeah. the pieces are going to come when they come as opposed to me planning out the whole thing. Do you have um, any blank spots left? <laughs> no, because the ta- the, as, as far as I'm concerned, my uh-huh. answer is no, because the last two to three years, I was always looking for negative space to fill up or finding mm-hmm. a space that I can fill out or adding something and enhancing something and adding color and, and, and continuing to enhance that space. Um, and so I did that for the past two to three years. And one tattoo with my neck piece uh, looks like it was the completed version of what my idea was. But it was mm-hmm. I just want this. You know what? I want to go back and add this you know what, I want to go back and add this. And that's how mm-hmm. all of my, all of my tattoos work that way. So that's how uh, my bodysuit came to be piece at a time, piece at a time. And, and through amazing stories with, with people I love with, with the, with the people who did it. And I love. 
That's so awesome to hear about. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm finally done. The obsession is over. And it's I would, every time I told people I was done years ago, mm-hmm. they all rolled their eyes. They all were in disbelief. And <laughs> rightly so. And of course, I'm a black woman. Don't tell me. So I will give you a dissertation as to why I won't. And then two weeks later, show up with another piece. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I think one of my superpowers is being able to convince myself of anything I want to believe. Like my those closest to me are like, I don't know. I mean, um, I think it, you. I never feel like you're lying to me because when I look back on the moment when you were lying to me, what it actually was is that you truly believed yourself. <laughs> oh, I never lied. I won't lie to anybody else. It was me, I was lying. But then I thought, you know what, darling, I didn't lie to myself. I just bullshitted myself. Is is there a difference? Yes. Well, what is it? I don't have time to explain if you don't know. (laughs) That's me to me. That's me to me. Yeah. But yeah, I would, uh, my work, uh, the one thing that is always important to bring to my work um, is integrity and honesty. Mm -hmm. The creativity is already there. It's integrity and honesty. I, I, I need to be steeped in that moment. Um, and I, I, I can't fake the funk because there's no point in showing up if you don't show the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Words to live by for all my listeners. Um, you can't fake the funk. And um, there's no point don't in showing up, showing if, up you don't if you don't show, show the fuck up. There's show no the point fuck in showing out. up if you don't show the fuck out. <laughs> there's no point in showing up if you don't show the fuck out. Perfect. That'll be... um. I'll have that T-shirt made for you and we'll have it sent to you right away. I will wear it as long as it's a child's medium because I have kitties I still want to show at the age of six. I have a couple questions that I ask all my guests. Um, Feel free to answer them however you feel. The first question is, who is your celebrity crush today? And crush can mean however. Listen, I used to I used to try to make it like who would you want to bang? And then one of my guests, Monet Exchange, made it so filthy that I never wanted to like <laughs> put that prerequisite on it again. Uh, she talked about doing things to Ryan Reynolds that I felt bad to like put out into the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um you can define crush however you feel like it. Okay. Um you said today. Mm-hmm. Okay, this morning I woke up with him on my mind because I miss his work. Paul Gleason. Paul Gleason. Are you, do you know, are you familiar with Paul Gleason? I'm terrible sometimes. If you jumpstart my memory, I bet I know. <laughs> he was in um, The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. He was the principal. Oh, there he is. There yeah. he is. Yes, I know him. <laughs> I woke up with Paul Gleason on my mind today. So Paul Gleason, I miss his work. I miss what the, the possibility of what he'd be doing right now. Unfortunately, uh, he had cancer. He had uh, developed uh, mesothelioma, and mm-hmm. uh, lung, which is a form of lung cancer from asbestos, and mm-hmm. it took his life. But, and then I loved what he did in, he was also in, one of the first things I saw him in other than, uh, other than The Breakfast Club was he was also in the original Die Hard. He was the, mm-hmm. he was the kind of cop that was, uh, wanted to be in charge. You know, he was mm-hmm. kind of a dick, but wanted to be in charge. And you find out that he's a little bit more incompetent than you think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember him from uh, Not Another Teen Movie where he was playing a parody of the character he played. Yes, I remember that too. And in the same suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I woke up with my mind, yes. And he was was also a crush of mine. I have crushes on certain people, people in general, that it's Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) The first time I saw Catherine Zeta-Jones in Zorro, who the fuck? Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm crushing. Um, And sometimes people are like, why that person? Brendan Gleeson, Irish actor, Brendan Gleeson, big time crush. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So people are like, why? I'm like, I can't tell you. Don't something about Gleeson for you. Don't ask me. Ask my vagina, (laughs) Doc. 
I'm going to say my crush today is Troy Sivan just because of um, the Met Gala. And there are, I'm, I am primarily a bottom in my life, mm-hmm. but there are occasionally people so gorgeous that I'm like, I wish I were a top so that I could top Troy Sivan. Um, okay. <laughs> you go, <girl. laughs> Ain't nobody mad at you. Ain't nobody mad at you. You know I got you back front and sides. Let him say something. Let him come at you. Next question is, um, and I think I heard you mention this um, in reference to your tattoos, but do you consider yourself spiritual? The only purpose of my life is to have a spiritual experience before I leave and shuffle off this mortal coil. That's my only purpose. Mm-hmm. Everything else is the icing on the cake. Yeah. But I don't get it twisted. That cake is big enough that I'm supposed to serve the world with it. Mm-hmm. My purpose on in this planet is to have that relationship with God, be defined by that relationship with God, and make sure that I reflect that in every life that comes into being. I wish people could see the conviction in your face just now. <laughs> you got really close to the to the camera. My mind is... I'm going to have to process this later. Like I'm going to have to sit with myself later. I'm going to be calling every last drag queen I know and be saying like, just wait because very soon my conversation with Deborah Wilson is coming out and y'all can suck it. Um. One of my favorite things that I do whenever I leave anything that I'm talking to people is I always do a prayer and it's very simple. I just go Mm -hmm. be blessed, be well, be happy, be healthy, but most importantly, be you because you are be you to fall. (laughs) You are just like, okay, so um, I think your next career move is to just have a TV show where you basically can just get real close to the camera like you've been doing (laughs) and tell everyone what they need to hear. Because I think, I I don't know, you've had so many quotable moments in this conversation. My final question for you is, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, okay. That one is an easy one. Van Morrison, Moon uh, moon Dance. It's a marvelous night for a moon dance. With stars <laughs> up above in your eyes. A fantabulous <laughs> night to make romance. Neath the cover of October skies. You know the leaves on the trees are falling to the sound of the breezes that blow. And I'm trying to place to the calling of your heartstrings that pay soft and low. You know, the night's magic seems to whisper and hush. You know, the soft moonlight seems to shine in your blush. Can I just have one more moon dance with you? My love, one more moon dance with you in the moonlight on a mad night. Can I just have one more moon dance with you, my love? I cannot. I don't think we've ever had such a fantastic ending to this episode. Deborah, you have just been everything I could have hoped for and more. Thank you so much for joining us today. My, I ble- am, my blessing. I didn't think I could leave this conversation more in love with you than I already was, <laughs> but now my hope is someday we can meet in the real world somehow. You know, we'll just have to let it happen naturally because <laughs> we don't know how our paths will cross, mm-hmm. but I cannot wait to just like, um, I can't wait to go rub this in Sable Cities' face. Sable oh, Cities, if you're listening... Um, I beat you, girl. I just had a conversation with Deborah Wilson before you did, bitch. So, um, <laughs> you know what bitch stands for, right? What's bitch stand for? Beautiful, intelligent, talented, and tough, creative, and courageous, and honest. Deborah Wilson, everybody. Bitch, what? You see that concrete out there on the sidewalk? Bitch, you better walk it every day like a red carpet. Every day of your life, that concrete, that street, that curb that some people want to kick you on, get the fuck back up and walk it like a red carpet. There in it the lesson from your alter Negro. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I, feel, I feel Whitney coming back to us in this moment. <laughs> yes! 
<laughs> Thank you so much, Deborah Wilson. Yes. Um, do you have social media accounts you would like to plug here? Do you have I any? I have no social media. I'm not on social media. Wait, wait. But I'll tell you this much. Someone convinced me a long time ago to go on Cameo. So you are on Cameo? You want me to do that? Okay, okay. All right. You know I'm dead, right? You know I'm dead, right? They say, yes, I know you're dead. You must be able to do something on Cameo. I said, all right. Every once in a while, I get on Cameo. Some people, some stuff. You know what I'm saying? I don't ask for much. It is a paid service. I'll never raise my price. Uh Uh-uh. Because I really like the connecting. And a lot of times, people aren't coming to me for birthdays and holidays. Sometimes they just want, you know what? Let's do some praying. Pray for me. I'm telling you what's going on in my family. And you know what? I keep in contact with people too. So once you're done with the cameo, I say, every direct message. Right now, I'm in prayer and in vigil for a friend who I met on cameo whose mother is in the hospital. So I keep up with him. And there are people who have come to me from the past of cameo and said, hey, I want to connect with you again. And they do for free. Because <laughs> once you connect with me, eh, eh, I turn around and make sure that the direct messaging, you don't have to pay for so whenever you want to contact me, you contact me that way too. And I will respond with my love, my heart. Yes, I'll be there for you every step of the way. <laughs> That's extremely I gracious of you. <laughs> I love you. I always love you. So fucking good. So everyone listening, be sure to book your cameo with Deborah Wilson. Otherwise, fuck off because she's not on social media. I want to thank you one more time, Deborah. It was just, it was everything I could have hoped for. I absolutely love you. I worship at your altar. You are my goddess. Thank you, Deborah Wilson. Yes, my (laughs) And (laughs) And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and that's J-I-N-K-X. You have to use the K because I paid extra for it, and K is very expensive. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx! To Hi Jinx, ad free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hi Jinx five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Big Dipper. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.